0: Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers, and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. Welcome to Currents,
1: a podcast of Big Ocean Women. I'm your host, Dana Robb, and joining me as co-host is Carolina Allen, founder of Big Ocean Women. This month, we're talking about family. As Big Ocean Women, we greatly value the unique and contributing role of families. And we thought, who better to have this conversation with than Kimberly Ells. She is the author of Invincible Family. She's done an incredible amount of research documenting the attack against the family from the UN level down. And she goes into depth in her book about why the family matters and why we need to continue to support and uphold the family as the core unit of society. Kimberly, will you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in the pro-family movement?
2: Yes, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to, to be here. I love Big Ocean, and so it's, it's an honor to talk with you today. Um, so first and foremost, I'm, I'm a mom, and I have five children husband and um that's the main thrust of my life and my work and uh, how I got kind of started into the pro-family movement it was about 10 years ago actually and I became aware of the children's sexual rights movement um I actually just one day came across a document online that was promoting sexual rights for children and I wasn't okay with that (laughs) and I found Mm -hmm. that quite concerning um as a mom and as just a citizen. And uh so I got kind of digging about where is where's this movement coming from, where is it headed, who's behind this. Um and I just sort of was lit on fire with wanting to understand what was happening and then how to fight it. And, and in fact, that day after I discovered that that document that I then found out was published by International Planned Parenthood Federation, I just decided that this was a fight I was going to be in for the rest of my life, if need be, because sexualizing children is not okay on any level and the family destructive elements that are tied into the movement to sexualize children is especially concerning and so Mm -hmm. anyway as I got kind of started down this road I learned more and more got involved with a wonderful group called Family Watch International that you know took me to the United Nations and that's when kind of my eyes were even more fully Mm -hmm. opened Mm -hmm. to understand that you know, the war on the family is not just some, uh, unorganized here and there effort, but there's a global effort to crush the family. And that's why the, you know, part of the title of my book talks about, you know, that the, the, the camp, the global campaign to crush motherhood and fatherhood can't win. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the end, that's that I think is true. In the meantime, we've got quite a fight on our hands, but there's people like you who are who are in the fight and teaching at home and doing what we can for policy, both locally and globally. And so there's there's hope going forward. So it's been it's been quite a ride these past ten mm-hmm. years, and uh, I'm just so thankful that I've been kind of led down this this path to be involved and to learn and to try to contribute.
1: Yeah, I'm so thankful that you've taken that effort. I have to tell you, I bought your book on February oh, 1st of this year. I can remember exactly because oh. that's my daughter's birthday uh-huh. and, and I've been slowly digesting it since then. Uh-huh. And I thought that I was aware because I've been to the United Nations with Big Ocean Women and I mm-hmm. have read a number of things, but your book even brought more things to light and just surprised me at how how long this has been going on, despite mm-hmm. to crush families. And I also want to say just it's phenomenal. Your work is phenomenal. I love your way with words, your ability to put things together and um, just that wealth of knowledge that you've been able to compile in this very readable um, text. So thank you for putting that together. I think it's essential. Thank you. I, think thank it's you. Essential and I, for I really did.
2: Part of the reason I wanted to write the book is because I felt like I needed to put all this information in a digestible form so that people- yeah don't have to necessarily go to the United Nations to understand the agenda and see what's happening mm-hmm. and tie it into what's happening locally. So I hope I have made it accessible.
1: Yeah, very accessible. And all of, like surprised me how many quotes there are of people like you can't deny that people are saying what they're saying when you put it together in that written form. Um, it's also really cool that we get to have you on today because you talked at that event about the trifecta of truth that, that your book, The Invincible Family, along with Hold On to Your Kids, Mm -hmm. Um, and we were able to have a podcast and discuss that a couple of months ago. And, um, Erica Comasar's book being there, we had her on even previous to that. So we're like, we feel like we're we're finishing this trilogy of these (laughs) incredible books about the family. Oh, I Um, love to hear that. Yes. So let's, um, let's dive into some other questions. Maybe we just need to get a brief summary of what, what is the attack against the family? What really is going on?
2: Well, that's a big question, right? Uh, first of all, maybe we even go back farther and say why would anyone want to crush the family? Yeah, Isn't the family yeah. like the cradle of humanity? Isn't that how children are born and and taken care of and raised? So it doesn't to mo- to most, you know, rationally minded people, uh a fight against the family doesn't make any sense because the family naturally naturally occurs. It's you know, so all the social science data in the world seems to point to the fact that a strong family not only leads to strong and capable individuals, but to strong and capable societies. And so why on earth would anyone want to uh, compromise the family? And I've had to think through this a lot and and uh, kind of dissect the different pieces of it. And the answer that I've come up with is the reason why the family in some people's minds needs to be dismantled is because it is the place of greatest power. Mm-hmm. And people who are seeking for power especially globally see the family as a great threat to their power that to their power because it is mm-hmm. and so um the family because the, the family is powerful it for many reasons the crux of one of the things i talk about in the book however is that you know when new people are born they're born as babies they're born to mothers in mm-hmm. cooperation with fathers and that matters a lot because then it's the mother and the father who get to kind of impress upon the child what is true and what Mm -hmm. is right and what is not true and what is not right. And those lessons that are learned in the earliest days of life are crucial and they tend to matter for the rest of a a person's life. And so it seems to me that uh, God has given the right to raise humanity first to parents that doesn't mean the community isn't involved it doesn't mean the government isn't important but the the task of loving and raising humanity has been given first and foremost on purpose I believe to mothers and fathers and therefore and that's wise because when because the baby belongs to the mother and father Right, Mm -hmm. and when something belongs to you, you tend to care for it more than if it doesn't belong to you. And so, one of the things that that the family that family structure accomplishes, in the brilliant way that babies come forth out of the bodies of mothers, which we don't talk about that often, but it's really significant, because that means when a baby is born, then that baby belongs to that mother, and there's very few people who would argue that it doesn't. Um, And so, that puts the mother in a position of not ownership but belonging. The baby belongs to her, and the baby's parents belong to that baby. And um, that's not to say that that adoption cannot be a beautiful answer to when that there's uh, complications in uh, in that process. Um, but the the fact is, babies are born to mothers, mm-hmm. and mothers are women. And Mm -hmm. that puts women in a prime position of power and influence. And that's the story. That's another reason I had to write the book, because that's a story that's so seldom told is Mm -hmm. that that mothers are powerful. Mothers are so often framed in a a position of disempowerment. You know, we go to the United Nations and I hear people repeatedly say, I don't see women in places of power. (laughs) And my answer is you're looking in the wrong place. (laughs) You need to look in the home. Yeah, because- you know every woman hopefully ideally has a place of power in the home and i know that's not always the case there are bad marriages marriages fall break down sometimes not all mothers and fathers are good i understand that there's a lot of these uh realities that mm-hmm. that people have difficult realities that we all are dealing with on some level but but the fact is it's families that push the world forward it's mm-hmm. families <clears throat> that birth children feed children raise children and um it used to be educate children now we've kind of Forfeited most of that, right? Uh, Mm. uh, Largely in society. But maybe we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, the point is that because the family is powerful, it's an obstacle to the state. It's an obstacle to people who are seeking power, especially global power, which is what we see at the United Nations. And so most people, I mean, there are some, and I quote them in the book, who go around saying we need to blatantly abolish the family. Mm -hmm. But usually the Mm -hmm. agenda is a lot more subtle. Mm -hmm. And it's that we need to empower women, which implies that they're. Naturally um, dis, disempowered, right. <laughs> which I don't believe is true. I think they're naturally empowered, and that we need to uh, focus on women's sexual rights, and we need to, you know, make sure everyone is progressing equally, and we need to share. You know, there's all these different campaigns that we see out rolled out from the United Nations and elsewhere <clears throat> that are really well dressed and sound really nice, and there might even be some good elements to them. But when you look closely, they're family destructive. They seek to uh, minimize the bonds between mothers and children and fathers and children, rather than to strengthen them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the reason for that, as I've said, is to, to break down the family so that that so that it's inherent power can be transferred elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's something that you said there about, you know, women feeling that they don't have power. And you mentioned in your um, book that a couple of leaders that have said he who holds the children holds the power, you know, there, I don't remember exactly Uh this quote from Hitler and, and Mao that that talk about the power of being able to to teach the children when they're young and I love what you said in the book that the young begin as part of her lap the woman does not have to conquer anyone launch any initiatives raise anyone's taxes implement any programs or start a revolution to commandeer the young they already belong to her and women need to come back to that truth to realize we we have the power to influence generations right in our own home exactly
2: Yeah, the children belong to women. Without Mm -hmm. without really even a fight, they they come right to their laps, just like the quote you just read said, and that is a position. Of power. And what I want to do is is inspire women to recognize that. And and men also, you know, to honor that position, of course, men and women working cooperatively, non-competitively is the goal and how things work the best. So to to help women see that they are in a position of profound power, and that's why everyone is after it. (laughs) They want that position. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit about what are the greatest dangers that the family is facing right now.
2: Well, there's there's so many, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there's a couple that I want to talk about. So I, I talk kind of in depth in the book about uh, these various social agendas that are being pushed forward and how they're affecting the family. And I want to couch this in the in the writings of a feminist that I discussed in the book called Shalamath Firestone. And she mm-hmm. um, taught some, some really profound things that she was right on the money. It's just that her, her approach is completely wrong. So for instance, um, she also recognized that women are the key to uh, a privatized society. So she said that the, the reason why socialism has not worked so far, either on a micro or macro level, really to any degree, is because we have not been able to sever the special cord tying connection between mothers and babies and that's really significant that she stated it that way and and it, it's because that's what makes things private a woman believes that the baby belongs to her which is a private notion which is against a communal or communist or socialist notion and so the very belonging of babies to their mothers is what mothers is what privatizes the whole world and is the great obstacle to socialism succeeding so uh, so with that so that's one one point she made another point she made that we're seeing kind of explode at this point in our society. She was writing in the 1970s, but the things that she wrote turned out to be quite prophetic. Oh, by the way, I have to say, so Shalameth Firestone saying that, you know, we haven't been able to destroy the possessiveness of mothers and fathers. So her take on that is, so we need to work hard to destroy it. That's the one thing we need to do is destroy that bond between mothers and babies, because that's actually the key to destroying the family and to overcoming society and making it a socialist uh, project. So um, I'm Want to be clear i'm not promoting her writings at all i am very much on the opposite side of the, the fence but the, another thing she said that we is now becoming very important is she said that the goal of feminist socialist revolution is to eliminate the sex distinction itself mm. so eliminate the the differences between men and women at all so it doesn't matter so it would not matter legally culturally socially or in any way if, a, if the body of a person were male or female, that would be a non issue. So that's so interesting. And I've spent a lot mm-hmm. of time years thinking about this. And, and she says that then the result of that will be the undermining of the family and what she says, quote, the disappearance of motherhood. So why, why yeah. is that? What do you mean like what you have to think through it a bit? Like She's saying, if we can culturally and legally dismantle this idea that males and females inherently exist and are different, then we will, that's the key to toppling the family and undermining motherhood. Well, we're seeing, I've even been surprised at at how this has Mm. rolled forward so quickly and so dramatically in our society Mm -hmm. to where, I mean, everyone is aware now, right? With with the transgender uh, movement, which is tragic on so many levels for individual people, but the greater the greater threat is when we cease when we cease to recognize that people are either male or female which mm-hmm. they inherently are then it becomes difficult to recognize any realities that are based on maleness or femaleness which includes motherhood and fatherhood because mm. being a mother is a sex specific designation being a father is a sex specific designation so if sex specific designations don't matter anymore how are you going to legally Define first and then defend motherhood fatherhood and parental rights and you've probably seen as I have some very concerning you know videos out there of, of men you know holding a baby to their chest pretending to nurse claiming that they're a mother and so instead of us being concerned about their well-being and the well-being of the baby at this point um in society we're being told that we should celebrate that
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we shouldn't and and uh, it, it, because for many reasons, but the deeper reason is because the, the very low legal footings of the family are under threat because of that. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that individual transgender people, uh, people who are engaging in transgender behavior are try, are specifically trying to undermine the family. I don't believe that the the teenager who's struggling with their gender identity has any personal agenda, you know, to destroy the family. But the fact is, just as Shalamath Firestone pointed out, That's the legal end of the road. That's where that takes Mm us. And so there are people in the agenda who do want to, as you know, Firestone said, undermine the family through undoing the biological realities of male and female and making them totally Mm -hmm. irrelevant. I hope that made sense, but (laughs) I think that's one of the main threats to the family today on a deeper level. And we can talk, you know, maybe in a minute, we'll get into our specific families, um, but that's that's a more global, more broadly social threat that I see is the undermining of male and female itself.
3: Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that, Kimberly. I'm going to jump on. This is Carolina Allen, by the way. Um, and I, I so value your insights because I think at the very core, they wrap up what we at Big Ocean Women call the movement of maternal feminism, which is this need for women to realize And recognize their empowerment that they already have that this biological connection that they have to directly influence the rising generation is the greatest superpower there is Mm -hmm. because what we're seeing now and what you've laid out is the global obsession really in every way, shape and form to usurp that influence. So just the same way that a big marketing company would, that they just are looking at every single little way in which they can grab your attention and pull you in a little longer, all the algorithms are designed to um, draw our attention towards something, to be fixated on it. The global community is really, really dedicated and focused on making women forget that natural power that they have like you said, you know, that the, I think that the sexual evolution, specifically second wave feminism really got their claws into our cultural fabric at that point and made it such an outdated, like old fashioned idea that, you know, making a home, a nest for your family and being present in your child's life, that those are very, very backwards things that women shouldn't aspire to do but Mm -hmm. I believe that in this current situation that we're all in I think so many people are beginning to wake up to the fact that they are feeling unfulfilled in many ways Um, they're coming back to home and hearth and um, slowing down time and really I think social media has done a really it's it's really showing what what people are doing day to day day. And I think that it's appealing for a lot of women to to look at home improvements or spending time with children or, you know, just what motherhood looks like and it's visible. And I think that there's a draw there still. And I think that Mm -hmm. I love the title of your book, The Invincible Family, because the family really is invincible. And at at the end of the day, our biological ties are super, super important. They're not going to go away. And You know, I I hate to bring this up, but I think that it's worth chatting about because I think that there's so much there, but I was actually pleasantly surprised, like very surprised when I watched the Barbie movie, because at the very end of the Barbie movie, she ends up going to her gynecologist. So there was like this bridge and this merger between the biological and like the gender, you know, like there's been a separation of that very intentionally, like you talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of women are talking and thinking that that's ridiculous. Like feminism gets completely undermined if we do that. And a lot of our rights are tied into our biology and a lot of our empowerment is tied into our biology and our biology is there to nurture human life. Like that's really it at the end of the day. That's what it's there for. And anyway, I just, I think that that movement is critical It's not a hard sell at the end of the day, because I think if women are really introspective that, you know, there's a lot of meaning and purpose in family life. So I I think that that, you know, it's kind of a challenge. It's, It's a battle, but I feel like we definitely have the upper hand.
2: We do. And like you said, the, the, the family is invincible. That's why I named the book that because the ties of biology, when a, when a baby is born to a specific mother and father that never goes away, that exists forever, regardless, even if there's a death or, or separation or whatever, that remains a reality. It remains important. And the whole point is that families are meant to be permanent and they are, and you really can't crush it unless you well, you really can't. In the end, there's been there are efforts now to make reproduction uh, non-sexual, to make it done in the lab. We see that kind of in a frightening way coming forward. And the whole again, the whole point of that is to separate women from from babies, which is another thing that Firestone said absolutely had to happen. Was we had to make reproduction um, a function that was not connected to motherhood. And so that's that's chilling that we see that going. But the fact is, it's always going to be easier. And more fun, frankly, to produce children the old-fashioned way. And so that's not going anywhere. And so that gives yeah. me hope. Although I'm concerned on the one hand, people are going to keep having babies. Mm-hmm. And mothers and fathers mm-hmm. are going to keep loving their babies for the most part. And so that gives me great hope.
3: It's interesting that you talk about it in those terms. Because truly, like the only alternative that we have in you know moving humankind forward is either the family or transhumanism like you talked about Mm -hmm. you know growing people in a tradition they would belong to some social contract you know whatever if we're really going to be honest those are our two options and we have to also be honest that if we write if we write the family out of it then we write women out of it and women will become even greater second-class citizens if we think that we had it bad throughout history. How wrong are we when it gets turned over to the transhumanist agenda? Women will be completely obsolete. And I'm calling it out. The solution to women's empowerment is to see that the family unit is that basic building block and to hold on to it as a society. And women have a central role in that. And we have a huge bargaining power in a way in how we want to be treated within the family context. And then socially, you know, that influence will impact socially and women will have a much better situation all over the world. Once we can elevate the matriarchy, once we can elevate the status of motherhood far more than if we were going to grow children in Petri dishes or in these vats of solution in these artificial wombs women become completely taken out of the entire equation. And I think that it's very safe to look at like who is leading all of the technocratic revolution all over the world. Mm -hmm. Women have no part in any of that. And so the people in power there are most assuredly not women. And so if we're going to improve humanity, then we need to protect um, and safeguard the family and then put women as central key players in their empowerment within that sphere of influence right and the whole agenda that we're discussing about you know getting rid of motherhood
2: and producing babies in different ways that's promoted on the grounds of equality that is saying that will make all of humanity equal well in my estimation as you pointed out that that takes away the inherent power. It doesn't, women inherently have greater power, even though they don't always recognize it. So to equalize, so-called in that way, lessens women's power. Mm, And not only that, I mean, the sad end of that story, like if we really as a society embrace transhumanism and non-motherhood and just producing babies, you know, in fake wombs and stuff, that's not going to produce capable, emotionally secure and attached human beings totally removes from the equation of production of reproduction love Mm. that cannot be the importance of that cannot be overstated and just so happens that mothers and fathers excel at loving their babies and that Mm. matters more than anything else anything else and if we're trying to you know promote equality on the grounds of well if we if we get rid of reproduction that gets rid of that whole hard thing that women have to do it also gets rid of what they're very best at and where they excel and where their greatest power is and um right. and and it eliminates what new human beings babies and children need most which is a mother and a father that's it that's what need right. the very most and then those of course the mother and father work to provide the other things that the child needs and the state cannot and never will care about a child in the way that a mother and a father do.
1: Yeah. That's what I yeah. wanted to come back to that, that producing babies in vats. It, I just cannot see that even working long-term because there's this inherent need that we have to belong. And you bring that up a lot mm-hmm. in the book. That's, I feel like one of the reasons why the family is so important is because you get that sense of belonging and it is the best place for a child to learn how to love and how to be a capable um, person, a positive well, to have those positive attributes that allow them to contribute well in society and you take you take the family away. And and who's to say if we're all on this equal playing ground, that we wouldn't all be we'd still have those inherent um natural man tendencies of 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 greed and ambition and and pride that are going to make things unequal anyway. So there's no way we can have this equal playing ground and having the family is the best way of being able to ensure that children are going to learn what they need to be the best capable their best mm-hmm. capable selves.
2: And I appreciate you focusing on that. There's a there's a little suite of chapters in the chapters in the book that talk about that about the belonging and how the family mm-hmm. accomplishes that and all that. And it so few people want to talk about that when I do interviews because it's less sensational than like the children's sexual rights movement, but yeah. really it's equally as important and vital. Yeah. And it underscores what we're it really talking because- about when we eliminate the family. We eliminate the the foundation of everything, and I think we'll be sorry right. if we do that.
3: Right, that there's a pre- preservation of humankind, but in reality, there's a preservation of our humanity that mothers and fathers within the family context can best provide and 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 grow our humanity. Um, it, it preserves it. So if we were to do it in some ulterior way we would lose what it is that makes us human like you talked about Dana um, our emotions our our social capacity to collaborate and cooperate and completely artificial and robotic and so we would ultimately lose what it means to be human. And if other people are wanting to lose that through transhumanism, that we become something else, that we humans evolve into something else, then I almost want people to just say it for what it is. Yeah, I want us to evolve into some cyborg, you know, different kind of creature in the world. But I think if people were to actually hear that from the opposite side that that is really what the end goal would be then i mm-hmm. think everyone would be like none of us want that
2: right no and i that. yeah i do i don't in the book i don't work from religious arguments uh, very much at all um so that it's more accessible to a wide range of people but um i do point out and I'll point out now that life just makes a whole lot more sense if there's a divine design behind it. For instance, like you're talking about, I've often thought like God was capable of making, like he made ants and bees, right? And they're very organized and everyone just fills their little slot. There's not really a lot of individual expression in an ant colony or a bee colony. And so God's capable of making creatures that just operate almost robotically and that are just kind of obedient and do exactly what they want and fill their social role exactly and then they for a short period of time and then they die so and i think maybe i thought maybe god that gives him a sense of you know peace that he has some creatures that do that but his children people us don't operate that way and god doesn't want us to he maybe it was possible that he could have created human like creatures that just operated you know automatically doing some prescribed thing that he wanted to have happen but that's losing the beauty of of life itself being able to make choices and learn from the bad and embrace the, the good and it, there's very little nobility in doing right because you're forced to not even understanding why it's right or wrong there's no no nobility in that but there is nobility and greatness in learning what is right and what is wrong and choosing the right way, choosing the good, the noble. And that's, I feel like what, what God wants for us. And even people who maybe don't believe in God, there seems to be a great agenda in evolution or in the universe to help us become capable and loving and to experience belonging in families. Cause even if God didn't create families the way he did, someone did. I mean, there's, that's the way then evolution happened why there's way Mm. easier ways that reproduction could have happened but it seems very core and very important Mm -hmm. that people belong to each other and it accomplishes something greater than what exists in ant colonies or bee colonies or whatever it is there's an element that is so much more vital and noble that we as human beings are and so kind of the whole opposition that you're talking about doesn't recognize that thinks, Oh yeah, wouldn't it be great if we all functioned, you know, in our little roles and anyway, so we, we, we lose what it means to love. If we lose the family
3: and we lose free will Mm -hmm. ultimately. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that the family unit ultimately preserves free will. It preserves the individuality and the whole potential of a child. You're not looking at them as a worker bee, you Mm -hmm. know, trying to mold them into, you know, just a, a function of a cog in a wheel but you're looking at them as a whole human being with emotions, with the spirit, with a, with a mind. And, and as parents, you know, ideally you see your child and you cultivate them up to be you know, the very best version of themselves. And I feel like in the world, it's a, it's a challenge that is hard enough without these conspiring minds trying to dismantle it. It's a challenge. In and of itself. And how beautiful would it be if, if the broader society saw the family as, as the unit that has the greatest hope to preserve humanity and offered more support. You know, how amazing would it be if we changed the tide and offered more support for families, more support for mothers, more support for fathers? If we strengthened extended families to be that fabric of society that can really uphold and strengthen the family, we would be living in a radically different world.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a phrase in your book if families help their own members, the entire world is helped because everyone is inescapably part of a family. So a lot of the world ills that we are dealing with right now would be resolved if we were focusing more on the family would you speak to that a little bit Kimberly
2: yeah and that's something like I mentioned family watch international before and one of their kind of taglines is family-based solutions to world problems and that is it so often we, when we want to solve world hunger or whatever the world problem is we kind of look past the family or over the family to some greater you know government solution or other solution. And and I'm not saying that larger entities can't be involved, but the real answer is to have each family be self-sufficient and self-productive. And and the, the if there are huge problems in society, they are most likely rooted in the home. There is the element of course also of corrupt governments, which which, you know, causes a lot of problems for families. So that also has to be dealt with on a macro level. But the, if we're always looking past the family, like to solve hunger, that's not going to be a permanent solution. A family has to be able to feed its own members. And that's actually the most efficient and best way. And it provides, provides the greatest motivation for a mother and a father to work is because if they have to feed their own children, Mm -hmm. and if we, are somehow trying to solve world hunger um, in a way that doesn't require mothers and fathers to work for the benefit of their own children, then we're removing the greatest source of motivation that exists. And so we don't wanna do that. Yes, we have to solve larger problems. We have to cooperate. Governments, when doing their proper jobs, should protect the rights of parents and individuals and families. Um, But really the answers to most social problems lie in the family. And you're right, we need to invest more there and stop looking so much to, for government answers to all these problems, we need to look homeward.
1: Yes, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. that. Well, is there anything else that you want to discuss today that's burning on your heart that you want to share with our listeners?
2: This is related to what we've been talking about, the influence of, you know, technology and trying to influence the younger generation and and trying to undermine sex in society, you know, the sexual differences between men and women, all of these things. One of the main ways that this is wedging into our families, of course, is through technology and social media and honestly phone use. And I think this is a, a dire problem that we need to deal with in our families we we have been dealing with it in our family i'm sure it's been an influence for you and and so often though when i bring this up and say we need to really carefully consider why we're giving our children phones and decide if that's what we really want to do because it's 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 like taking a drug and then, you know, there's like, there's a commercial and then there's all these wonderful things the drug can do. And then they list all the horrible consequences that could also come along with taking the drug. Well, I feel like that's how it is with social media. And a lot of parents I talk to say, well, I want to, I want to be able to be in contact with my child and, and be able to track them and have them to connect to their friends. And those are actually noble. You know, there's good parts to wanting to do that, but if the side effects are so grave, to our children that they lose their souls or even their physical lives, the trade-off is not worth it. And so we, we need to work as families to solve the problem. And I think there has been some technology developed so that we, you know, gab phones or other kinds of things that, that can allow us to engage with technology and help our children while still protecting them. I have, I just feel that I have to say it because so many parents are like, well, yeah, that they have to have a phone. And so they hand their child a fully uh-huh. internet-enabled device mm-hmm. to a young undeveloped mind who really does not have the capacity either to understand what they're seeing or to process it. And yeah. and their lives are being ruined and it's not okay. And we can't just say, well, that's the world today. Just teach your kids to be stronger. I mean, yes, we need to teach our kids to be stronger, but if we're putting them in a situation that is so beyond what they are capable of of handling, then that's as parents, that's our fault and we need to address it. And I think a lot of parents just now are waking up to the fact of what their children are actually being exposed to all of these agendas that we've talked about and many that we haven't even gotten to are being delivered right to the child in the child's home. So even if there's a a wonderfully intact family with engaged parents who are teaching their child as best they can, and you know, all these things seem on the outside perfect. If the child is consistently accessing whatever they want on their device, there's serious opportunity for undermining everything that the parents are trying to do. So why would we do that? We have to find solutions to this problem. And I don't think it's just becoming Amish and not in engaging with any technology, although, you know, if that's what it comes to, you know, so there has to be middle ground solutions that protect our children and nurture them in responsible technology use. But that is, that is more tricky than I think most parents uh, acknowledge. And, um, it's, it's rough and we need to, we need to be aware and not just say, oh, well, they'll, they'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. They may not.
3: Right. One of the coolest things that I've ever heard, um, is coming out of New York, a teen named Logan Lane created what's called the Luddite Club where teens are just ditching their phones and they're going out to parks and having conversations and having picnics and, and engaging in sports and doing all these things. And they're claiming their life again. And there's a movement coming from their own peers. Sometimes it's hard for parents to enforce because they, you know, teenagers are already fraught with so many challenges where, you know, parents are doing their best trying to, you know, preserve their relationship with their kids and a phone would be like just devastating so parents don't want to cross that bridge they don't want to become their kid's enemy and they would become like a social outcast but what's happening in lots of places is that kids are feeling just recognizing themselves that they aren't feeling fulfilled and they are making the steps and so it's coming from their own peers like it's becoming cool Mm -hmm. um and I think that you know, just showcasing those things and spreading the word that there's even, you know, that even exists. Um, Do you remember back in the day when like going to a thrift store was an embarrassment? Mm -hmm. Now it's so trendy. Everybody loves to thrift and they go to these places. And I went yesterday with my family and to these, this place called the bins and they're just these bins of clothes. And I would say 90% of the demographic there were hip cool kids. So I feel like every time that there's this big pendulum swing it kind of starts to come back and I think that what we can do is point our kids in the direction that there are actually more kids than you think that are leaving their phones for times and I think that kind of coming about it in this in this new way like that it's you know it's it's a it's a new trending thing to have meaning and purpose in your life and to use your time wisely and to feel fulfilled. Who wants to be, you know, one of those statistics on social media of, you know, just the crazy emotional harm that's happening to you. Mm
1: hmm.
2: I appreciate you highlighting that. And that's a very hopeful movement. And even that children themselves are feeling like, okay, kind of hate my life. Why is that? I'm going to do something drastically different. That's super awesome. And this ties back into the book we mentioned, you mentioned earlier, hold on to your kids Mm -hmm. that what really helped me so many things from that book, but was the idea of peer orientation. And when a child ceases to be oriented to their parents, which should happen, which is the whole point, children should be oriented to their parents early in their life and then when they become peer oriented, um, that becomes a very big problem. Yeah. Uh, of course, children are going to eventually disengage from their parents, but they shouldn't cease to value what their parents think. Anyway, he explains that in great detail. And so what, what I think is happening with phone use and social media is people are becoming not just peer oriented, but stranger oriented, like Mm. children are valuing what some influencer, some stranger on this little screen in front of them is teaching them more than what their parents are teaching them and what their whole life experience Mm. has brought to their lives. And so when we hand our children a phone, we're handing them the device to orient them somewhere other than us. And that's kind of maybe kind of the core of the problem. And interestingly, to kind of go back globally on this, when, you know, we were at the UN this year at the commission on the status of women in March, the whole thrust of the entire (laughs) conference was digital rights. And I I could go on and on about, about that whole thing. But one class I went to in particular was called a phone of her own. And one of the heads of UNFPA was there. I spoke to him and the whole event was advocating that all women and all girls don't know what the definition of that is i asked him afterwards and he couldn't provide a definition all women and girls should have their own phone and that that is a human right so that's very interesting why would these global entities wanting to be making sure that every woman and girl has a phone
3: there's so many
2: so many disturbing reasons i mean Not least of all data tracking and whatever, but they want, they want their agenda to be delivered directly to children on their own device, which gets in underneath everything that parents are trying to do and can completely undermine it. And so this isn't just, oh, phones are bad. There is an actually a global movement. To make sure that children are on phones all the time. You know, when you realize, oh, there's a global movement trying to get my child to do this, maybe I should be aware of this. We definitely should be aware and be looking very carefully at the choices we're making with technology.
3: I'm so glad we ended on that note. Honestly, for any parents listening today to recognize that there is a very concerted, very organized effort to dismantle the family and one of the biggest tools being used now by. Uh, the global cabal uh, is is tech and phones with children, and don't let that wedge pry your children away from you. That we have got to assert ourselves, feel empowered, um, and and work. You know, Big Ocean women. One of the best things that I love about our organization is that we have local chapters meeting. So if you feel alone in this, join a chapter, come and meet with other moms and feel your power, reclaim it. Remember it again. And you're not alone in this. You know, there are so many women out there that have similar values and that are meeting together and feeling that empowerment. And we're doing things about it. So come and join us. Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us today. And Dana, thanks for hosting. Yeah. Kimberly, will you let
1: us know where we can find your book and where we can help support the work that you're doing?
2: Yes. And first of all, I love Big Ocean. I just love the mother focus, the home focus, everything that you guys do, I just think is brilliant. My book has been mentioned. It's The Invincible Family. The easiest place to get it is on Amazon. You can also go to my website, which is invinciblefamily.com. But what I hope you'll do is that you'll follow me on Substack because that way you'll, if you're interested in these topics, you'll regularly, you'll be added to my Email list, and you'll regularly see everything that I'm writing. And so that's at kimberlyells.substack.com. So kimberlyells.substack.com, or just Google Invincible Family Substack. And that way you and I can be connected and you can hear what I'm trying to do is address global concerns and also individual family concerns, how we can be aware of global threats, but still live joyfully in our families today. So that's where people can find me.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I've signed up for your Substack and love what you've been sending out so far. So join Kimberly on her Substack and keep informed. And yeah, we're just so grateful that you joined us today. You've a wealth of knowledge and have shared a lot for us to think about. I hope that everybody listening will just be more determined to keep their family strong and to build their family within because that's how we'll make a strong society. And we will be able to continue to influence those around us. And remember to join us in our local waves again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thanks me so much. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.